I've, it's been one year and a half since my wife and I arrived in Bohemia. Um, we spent, originally from Brazil, we spent 20 years in Florida. And now as I speak with you, as, I, as we read the scripture together, it may be that you notice some accent. <laughs> it's very, you know, it's hard to notice, but it, it may be that you noticed. Now, if you don't understand anything, there's nothing I can do about it. That only means you're not being practicing your Portuguese. <laughs> My brothers in Bohemia are almost speaking Portuguese by now. Uh, so I, I hope that you understand most uh, of everything. So if you turn your Bibles with me to Psalm 115. Um, I did forgot my Bible there. So let me. Ah, there you go. Thank you, Will. Huh? No, this is fine. <coughs> so let's turn to one, uh, Psalm 115. These, my brothers and my sisters, this is the very word of the living God. So let's read it. Um, I'll read it. I'll start reading here. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is your God? Our God is in heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, nose but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we we bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning not with the attitude that we just absolutely know what we just read. We come to you needy. We come to you thirsty. We come to you weak. Would you feed us? 
Lord Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you comfort us? Would you encourage? Would you discipline us? But above all, would you speak with us? Like children come to you. There is nothing more than my brothers and I need this afternoon than to hear the voice of our great pastor, the pastor of our souls, Jesus. So come, Lord, and speak. We pray like this for the sake and in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> you know, I believe that from time to time, it, it becomes important that we are reminded of who we are. Who is Trinity? I mean, you have already, throughout this service, read some confessions that does tell who you are. And I think this is so important that we may be encouraged, that we may be alerted or reminded by Scripture of what is it that we're doing here? Why is it that the Lord God planted Trinity in this city and Bohemia? What, what is our heart? What, what makes it beat stronger? What makes us, we come here and worship together? Well, I, I believe that there are um, many um, places in the scripture that tell us and answer these questions. I personally love Psalm 115 and the very beginning of the book of Acts. Um, but today I want to look with you throughout this psalm and try to find the answers to these questions. Now this psalm <coughs> was written, written in, in probably, most likely, in a, in a very difficult time for Israel in the Old Testament. It may have been a period where they were in the historical exile in Babylon or before or right after. The fact is that by reading the psalm, we know that they were surrounded, meaning the people of God, Israel, they were surrounded, or the church in the Old Testament, they were surrounded by people who were extremely defiant towards their faith. They were extremely defiant towards the God they professed. These people or nations were constantly comparing their shiny gods, their pretty gods, their powerful gods against the gods of Israel, Yahweh, in whom they had no trust. And that takes a toll. That over times does take a toll in your faith. When day after day, year after year, year, you hear criticisms and you hear attacks against your faith. So the psalmist writes this psalm, which was sang and prayer, just like we did here, to encourage and to uplift the heart of his people. And, and in doing so, he does it in three different ways. He highlights three important things in the psalm. First, the psalmist gives voice to the heart of the church. He, he puts words in the mouth of the church, of the people who are singing this psalm, 
to remind them what are their hearts, what is in their heart, what's their love to Yahweh. Second, he reminds them, what is it that you're doing here? What's your mission? And finally, the psalmist reminds the church, what are their blessings? What is it that the Lord gave them to, to be who they are and to accomplish their mission? What are the blessings and promises of the church? So if you read again with me, let's go to the first one, the heart of the church. Verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Now that is a very interesting way of starting a prayer isn't it? Because you see, most of my prayers, when I come to the Lord in prayer, I usually start by thanking Him for what He's doing. Thanking Him for, for something usually related to me, to my wife, to my family, to the local church. And then at some point in my prayer time, I move on to ask God for something again related with me, with my family, with the church, with, with my needs, with my challenges, with my troubles. Meaning, my prayer tends to be centered around my needs. Which is okay. That the Lord does invite His people to bring our needs to Him. But here, the, the psalmist starts with a very different sentiment. Not to us. Not for our sake. But for your sake. For your steadfast love. For your faithfulness. Your grace. This prayer shows a, a, a deep detachment from oneself. From one needs, one desires. In favor of a deep love for God. A desire to place Him above all else. Now, if you read the Bible, I'm sure you do, you know that this attitude, this noble worship-prone attitude, isn't there by default. Instead, what we see through Scripture is that it's God Himself who worked that out in His people's heart. I'll give you one quick example. You may remember by reading the Gospels that when we look at the disciples and their journey with Christ, we see that when they were first called by Christ, they do come along faithfully. But they also, they also came with many expectations about what they would get in return. Didn't they? Their, their personal interests, their, their agendas, their aspirations. Their, their wants takes, do take a, a central role many times in their relationship with Jesus. And we can see that in some of their dialogues. For example, remember when the disciples arguing about themselves who would be the greatest 
who, who, who is going to be the boss? I mean, we have to know that. Who is going to be the cards? You know, who, who is going to answer to whom? Talk about self-interest. But here's the thing. As they follow the Nazarene, we see a gradual change. Eventually, we find the disciples, especially in the book of Acts, deeply transformed into men who have only one passion, one goal, to glorify the Lord through whatever they do in life. Their prayer becomes to echo Psalm 115. Not to us. Not to us. You and I are, are going through the same process. As we, as we follow Christ, each one of us have a mixed bag of self-interest and agendas. We all do. However, the more we get to know Jesus, the closer we get to Him, the, the, the more He is revealed to us, the less we care for our own stuff. And, and, and the more we desire to uplift His name, to show His name, to speak about Him, His love and His gospel, the more our hearts desire to say, not to us, not to us, but to your name, give glory. It becomes our life's mission, which takes us to the second point of the psalm here, the mission of the church. Look again with me in verse 2. Why should the nations say, where is their God? They had a problem. They, they were under pressure. The nations that surrounded Israel, the church in the Old Testament, the nations, the people that surround you, ask the same, where is your God? Now, just as the expression, not to us, sums up the heart of the church towards God, which is the heart of love and devotion through Christ, so does the expression, where is your God, sums up the heart of the nations towards God and his people, which is a heart of defiance and unbelief. Now that should sound strange to you. Chances are that you have heard this question many times. Sometimes it's a, a silent question, a look, a body language. Sometimes it's loud, but it's always there. Why do you believe this stuff? I can't see it. Is there any relevance to your faith, to Christianity today? If there is a God, why there is evil? Why there is war and suffering? Is this Jesus thing real? Where is your God? The question is always there. So how do we answer? 
If, if our mission is to answer these questions, how do we answer well? Again, just as our hearts towards God should be God-centric instead of self-centric, not to us, but to you, so the answer here should be God-centric, not self-centric. Meaning, instead of answering by saying, well, look at me. Look how good of a person I am. Don't you want to be like me? Look at my family. How pre beautiful and pretty and, and uh, so well-dressed and uh, it's so neat. Don't, don't you want to be like my family? Don't do that. We answer by saying, look at God, look at Christ. Look, look at what Jesus did to a broken person like me. Look what he has done to my family, who I have almost lost so many times if it wasn't for his grace. Look at him and his love and what he has done. You see, we display God, not us. This is what the psalmist tell the people to do. Verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Now notice that His answer is speaks of two things about God. First, he is in the heavens, meaning He is above all. He reigns. He is sovereignty. This, of course, speaks of who God is. Second, He does all that He plans to do. All His eternal wills, His eternal decrees will come to pass. This speaks of His actions towards His creation. Now, I have to ask you, what is that God did? What is the single greatest act of God? He sent His Son to die in our place at the cross. To redeem us and to give us life. That is the ultimate answer of who God is and what He does. He's sovereign and He sent His Son. He's a great God who, gave, who, who, who did a, a great act of salvation to the, so that whoever believes will be saved. Now, brothers and sisters, never be afraid of speaking the gospel in simple, clear terms. There is nothing more powerful that's why the psalmist is encouraging his people to say, you know what you're going to say to the nations, to the people around you who have these very complex gods? Our God is sovereign. And he sent his son to save you. Because he knows how broken you are. And you know why? 
Because people out there, in the same way that the nation surrounded the people here, they do not need gods that look like their gods. They do not need the feel-good-all-you-want God. They have plenty of that. They have their, 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 their gods made according to their own images. That's verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. These are the gods of our society. It's not only back then. It's the same gods today. The gods of silver and gold. The, the, the get more money at all costs, even if you have to sacrifice your family, God. The number you're paying with addictions, God. These are the gods who promise life, or at least bearable life. But here's a problem. They can never deliver, and people know that. They can never deliver what they promise. They may do it for a time, but eventually whatever they do becomes even more depressing, even more empty, even more dead, because that is all they can deliver, only themselves who they are, dead gods. Verse 6, they have mounts, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see, and so on. And that's precisely what people who trust these gods become, become like them, verse 8. And isn't, isn't that what we are surrounded with? I mean, if you pay attention, if you, if you look around, you will mostly, most likely see how much suffering there is out there. People are living without hope. People are living without, with their souls sunk into despair and loneliness. And friends, do not get misguided by the smiles of social networks, the casual conversations in the workplace, the euphoric joy in the parties in the weekend or by the outside beauty. Those, these are very thin masks. You see, never before the rate of suicide was so high, including among our youth. We're, we're living in an opioid crisis because people need to numb themselves just to wake up in the next morning. We're living in a chronic pain pandemic, which experts say, the, the, the doctors, the experts are saying now that it's really an emotional illness. The soul is sick, not the body. This is what the gods of society do with people. I was recently reading a research done by the New York Times on, on suicidal thoughts among youth. And then at some point during the research and the documentary, I heard this young adult saying to the camera, everyone is miserable. And everyone is more miserable because they see everyone else having fun. But everyone is miserable. They're just miserable people making it look like they're having fun. This is tragic. But you, church, you, Trinity, 
you have the answer. And that is your mission to share, to make understandable, to proclaim, to make attainable that the only remedy for the soul, the only healing for the pain is Christ and the good news that He is at reach. This is your mission. Now, as we go along in the psalm, that mission comes with a warning, which is surprising. Verse 9. Israel, after saying all this, after telling the church what's their heart, after telling the church how they answer the nations, after telling the church what's their mission, after telling the church that the gods, these gods are dead, he goes on, and he stops and says, But you, Israel, you trust the Lord. And he emphasizes that by calling Abraham and by calling other names. Trust the Lord. Why does he do that? Well, he does that because as you get out there, you will also be tempted to put your trust, your life energy, your hopes in the gods, in the, in the materialism God, in the unrestricted freedom God, in the social relevance God, in the, in the all kinds of pleasures God. Just, just, you're going to hear it. Just put it aside, the trust you have in Christ, just a little while. But remember, that's, that's what the psalmist is doing here. Remember, church, only Christ can truly heal the soul, provide and provide true fulfillment, true purpose, identity, and hope. The idols of our time cannot. Only Christ can. Speaking on promises, let me get to our last point and conclusion. After saying these things, here's your heart, church, and here's your mission. The psalmist ends by saying, here's your promises. Here are the blessings. Verse 14 and on goes on like that. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heavens and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of men. So the psalm comes to an end, reminding the people of these blessings and promises from God. Blessings that are poured over his people. Now, these blessings and this promise should sound very familiar because they are really echoes of promises given much before. Can you see it? The blessings and, and, and promises of increase of many children, the blessings and promise to subdue the earth and to fill the earth with, with children, the earth that God has given to his people, those are familiar words. These are, these are promises given 
first to the first family, for example. Adam and Eve, later to Noah, and later to Abraham, and, and to David, and the prophets, and so on. These are the promise to the people of God, the church, throughout time. These blessings apply to you as a people. These blessings are to you, Trinity, as a congregation, as a church, as, as part of the church of Christ. You see, when, when the gospel of Christ is shared by you, when we as the church proclaim the gospel, the promise of filling the earth with the sons and daughters of God are fulfilled. When, you know, the promise that the nations would be blessed by the seed of Ab Abraham, which is Christ, is fulfilled. When you answer the call, when you, when you make the, the, the mission of the church your personal mission, those promises are fulfilled. The promise that the people of God would inherit the earth is also being fulfilled. All these promises and blessings are fulfilled in the church today in anticipation of that great day of Christ's return. And as this happens, as you are out there, as your heart is towards Christ, as you're answering the nations, God is calling those who are dead to become worshipers, as he did with you one day. That's the conclusion. That's verse 17 and 18. The dead do not praise the Lord. You cannot find worship. You cannot find life. You cannot find peace. You cannot find true hope. You cannot find none of these things outside the community of Christ. There is only death. Even when there is smiles in the pictures, there is only death. So what do we do? We answer the mission, verse 18. But we, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forever. So be encouraged. Trust Christ. Trust the power of of the gospel because as, as Peter wrote and now you end with this you are his chosen race you are the royal priesthood you are the holy nation a people for his own possession that's who you are a people after God's own heart not to us O oh Lord but to you that's who you are a people that loves the Lord to do what Peter continues that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you. Would you pray with me again? Father, we, we thank you that indeed you changed our hearts. We thank you, Lord, that that did not come from us. It was not our doing it. But you, in your eternal will, decided to call upon your people and each one of us individually and gave us a new heart, a heart towards you. 
Thank you, Lord, that you not only did this, you, you gave us a mission to bring others to speak of this great love, this steadfast love and your grace to others. And thank you, Lord, that you gave us blessings and promises and power to do that through your Holy Spirit. So I ask that you will imprint this truth in the hearts of my brothers, my sisters, our kids, our youth, all of us, Lord. Make this part of who you are in you. In Jesus' name, amen.